welcome to another episode of Point of More Returns. Uh, I'm your gracious co-host, the Mast Investor, and with me we have Wall Street C, one of the best real estate investors in the land, and finance expert extraordinaire. How's it going, man? Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> but, yeah, but all is well. Weeks going well, man. How are things your way? Man, things are good. Just ready to kick this thing off and get going and talk today about one of the subjects that's near and dear, I guess, to both of us, banking and kind of what's going on now and where things we see things going in the future. So, yeah, I guess just to kind of start it off, I mean, what are your thoughts right now is it, you know, when it comes to banks in the U.S.? I mean, are you feeling pretty good about them? Are you confident? Do you enjoy using the banking system? What's your thoughts as are, you know, when it comes to you? Well, that's really, that's a loaded, loaded <laughs> conversation question, all that stuff, right? So I think my personal opinions are probably more aligned with what you have to say in terms of the overall outlook of banking and financial industry. But for the sake of just pushing the conversation and just to kind of have some type of contrarian view. Like I'll give a, a more positive outlook on the future of banking and then you can like jump in and share your thoughts, right? So I personally believe that the entire banking industry is under siege, right? But in their defense, I think everyone is going to need to store their earnings, their discretionary income or their savings or whatever it is, like you need to be able to transfer funds some type of way, right? We're seeing a lot of pressures and I don't, I don't want to get too much into it because I want to leave some of the points you want to make, right? But it's like, they have a lot of pressures going on, whether it's technological advances, whether it's consumers' tastes and preferences changing, like the ease of doing business, like people are tired of getting hit with like these exorbitant fees. Like they definitely have an uphill battle, but if I was a banker, if I still worked for a bank, I would sleep a little bit better at night knowing, okay, people have to deposit money. They have to exchange money or some type of barter system or trade somehow, right? Like we have to eat every day. We have to have clothes. Like we have to have housing, but that's, I guess the rosier side of things, but like, let's just get granular. And you tell me like the gloom and doom of the banking industry, so to speak. So I'll flip it back to you. Yeah. I appreciate that. I agree with your sentiments. I guess the thing I kind of want to start with is I kind of see it in a couple areas, right? You have payments with banking, you have your traditional savings account, you know, investing. And then you also have like the lending area side. And those are kind of traditionally the three areas that most people will interface with banking throughout their lifetime. And so if you look at the state of those, the state of those industries as a whole is pretty healthy, right? In terms of the demand, people are still, you know, looking for ways to payment and speed those things up and there's just increasing demand in all three. But where things stand right now is that banks as a whole are at a crossroads because on one hand, they've kind of been entrenched as players in these industries where they have like these walls that are just kind of hard to bring down and moats that are 
really defensible to cross in the form of like regulation and just the way that the system is built out. You just kind of have to transact. But a lot of that stuff is starting to come down. And I'll touch on that later on. But right now, you know, where topics is just the banks are in a fight to stay relevant, right? So as we talk about that and, and try to touch on things a little bit more in terms of that, I know you just recently completed a transaction purchasing real estate and going through the system, getting a loan. Talk to you a little bit about that. I mean, have you noticed any change in terms of the process when you're going through that? Like, was it a lot faster than maybe you've done it in the years past? Was there more paperwork, less paperwork? Were it more helpful? Was it more options for you? Was it easier to kind of navigate? What was your experience with that? Okay. So I would say the really wild, wild west times from like 2004, 2005, 2006, 2007, like right before the crash, you could be a baby and pretty much get along during that time, right? And mm-hmm. we saw the bottom fell out, so to speak, right? So it's definitely not those loose times, I think. Like we were getting away, like people's memory are getting a little bit foggier from the Great Recession, so to speak. But they're definitely still doing full underwriting and they're doing full due diligence on like a profile of potential borrower. So I would say, I think the bigger challenge is not even like the underwriting guidelines. It's just like getting buried in paperwork, right? And some of these like banks and lenders, they just have a really antiquated way of doing business. And like you said, they're fighting for relevancy. They're, they're still holding on to like a business model that it's not necessarily keeping up with the times in terms of like brick and mortars, so to speak. And it was just kind of a, I'm thankful for my loan though. So like, be clear, I want to make sure I state that. But yeah, it was definitely like a little tedious. It's like, okay, I get it. Like, uh, I don't know. I shouldn't complain, but it overall, you know, decent process, but there definitely can be some improvements. And I think they're kind of opening their flank, so to speak, for competition with like the online banks and they have apps and you can send everything electronically and you can e-sign and you don't get buried in like going to go make a fax or something. Or mm-hmm. like, you have to go to a notary. It's like, I mean, we live through the pandemic now. We know you can conduct business via meetings and email and apps. Like, why are we still going places to get a, a wet signature? Like, we can do a Zoom meeting. I can sign it right in front of your face type thing, right? Right. But I don't know. I mean, what, what are you seeing is, I guess, to push the conversation, like, we're talking about the current state of banking, right? But then this is where we are here and now, but what do we say will be the future state and say the next five to 10 years? Like, what do you think is most likely to happen if you had to guess? Yeah. So that's multiple topics right there to kind of touch on. Right. So first, like the lending process itself is just being revolutionized right before our eyes. As you mentioned, there's still some remnants where you had to go and get physical signature, get the notary public and have someone execute that contract and then bring it a physical location or fax it. And that stuff, as you know, adds friction into the process. It just slows things down. So if you're trying to move with some speed, 
and you've got a big deal and you're competing, especially in the housing market where things are moving fast and prices are going and houses are popping up, it really can put you at a disadvantage. So people who have figured out ways to streamline that process, whether it's in-house with their firm or working with the bank or working with the fintech, have definitely seen tremendous advantages in being able to move faster than others. But, you know, as I said, that stuff is starting to become more mainstream now. And as we look towards the future, it's going to be even more streamlined with the advent, as you know, with Web3 and being able to do smart contracts where you no longer have to have that third-party intermediary rent seeker who verifies it actually gets executed on the chain. And you know, all that stuff can kind of happen in lockstep or simultaneously in cutting days and maybe weeks off of your transaction time. I mean, I've seen estimates where, you know, they're hoping they could do uh, funding in a matter of, you know, 24 hours or less, you know? And so you look at that, just think about, wow, how just incredible and mind-blowing that is to, to move that many pieces in such a short amount of time. It's just mind-blowing. And the thing is, the banks won't be able to keep us again. You know, you've got regulation that comes into play. I mean, they've got regulators who want to come in and see these documents. They want to see your loan paperwork and make sure that you check the borrower and done your KYC. And because of that, I think that really opens the door for some upheaval. Yep. So I'm with you and I want to jump in, right? Mm -hmm. So when you're talking about potential upheaval, right? Like, what does that look like? Are we talking about banks merging, acquiring like some type of consolidation in the space? Like, are we talking about potentially banks being replaced with like these like fintech firms? Are we talking about banks like buying like startups? Are we talking about like B5 gaining more market share like you mentioned Web3? Like, what do you think will happen with this upheaval? Uh, I know you've been waiting for that. I think think banks are going to zero. I mean, if you're an equity holder of a bank, profits are good right now. If I was you, I'd be looking to well, I'm looking to exit, you know, out of my bank holding stocks. And I think others maybe, you know, a couple of years from now, whatever, but the banking industry as we know it, it's looking at a death nail. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I know it's been a it's been a, a catchphrase we've been seeing like all on like online and internet and social media, but when our listeners hear like you say banks are going to zero, what exactly does that mean? It means that, you know, you're stocked at 60, 80 bucks today is going to zero dollars. There'll be, it's just going to be wiped out. Not all aspects of it will go away. I mean, there'll still always be merger, advisory businesses, stuff like that. But I mean, if you just look beyond the headlines, right, they're talking about the banks have made record profits and, you know, all that stuff is nice to see. But then you pull back the fold and you look. And you're like, okay, well, how is this happening? Well, banks are closing branches at a record rate. I mean, you had 38% of the branches close in 2021. 38% of all bank branches are closed out. What source is that, Master Investor? Like, where did you get that information from? So oh, 38%? Oh, you can just look that up. It was just a story in Banking Dive, I believe I got that out of. But okay. yeah, it was 38% 2021. And 
That's just incredible. I mean, you're looking at unprecedented times. So now I don't think all the, it's going to be hard for them to just, you know, close them all up in mass, right? Because you've got laws in place that say that banks have to have a certain presence in certain communities and things like that. So even if the branch itself isn't profitable, if it's just losing money, they still have to have it because of laws, regulations like that. And so things like that are just going to really hemorrhage them and start, you know, bleeding cash and causing them to have to um, explore changing the laws for one um, in terms of how they operate. And as I said, by the time they get all that stuff underway and catch up and adopt the fintech that they need and, and all of that thing, it's just going to be, you know, too late. They just can't move fast enough. They, they need to move years ago in order to put themselves in position. And now the way things are moving, I mean, you've got D5 people trying to solve these problems on transacting faster and all of the ways that you can get interest at a higher rate. You can get lending at better terms, more cash on hand, faster. It's just, you know, if people, quite frankly, I mean, you could literally close your bank account out today and move over to a DeFi space and do all your transaction and banking there and never touch the bank system again right now. Now, it takes some technical know-how to be able to navigate and do that because you're talking about, okay, I got to you know, log into MetaMask and you know, just some, for some people just trying to navigate that process is just confounding. But once you can navigate the MetaMask and you know, switch over to Ethereum and get your coins over to another chain and to another brokerage and into deposits and all of that, you could you know, just basically do away with the banking system, which is why you have these podcasts coming up bankless. Well, you know, let, me, let me jump in and let me wear my contrarian hat for the people that are the true believers in the banks, right? What if, mm-hmm. what if the rebuttal is, okay, well, I mean, banks have been around for hundreds of years. It's one of the oldest businesses there been in civilization, right? Mm-hmm. What if they say, hey, there'll be governmental aid to jump in and bail banks out because people have grown to trust the idea of the banking system, right? What if people are just terrified of going, like you said, all the way cashless or going like DeFi or crypto or whatever it is that's going to replace it, right? What if people just opt not to do it? Like, what's the fallout there? There's people who've posited that argument, right? But as with anything, I think it just, it's a network effect, right? I mean, once others are using it, you'll adopt. I mean, look at Facebook. Others were using it, you adopt Cash App. Others were using it, you adopt. You walk in some place and they say, hey, you know, we don't take cash. You got to do Bitcoin with us or we prefer Bitcoin or, you know, people will still accept it, but it's just going to be so much easier with the people working on this thing. After a while, it's going to be so much easier to transact doing the DeFi, doing these other projects and coins and whatnot, than it will be actually transacting in dollars. I mean, Let's just look at the track record of our government. I mean, right now, just in terms of getting cash, right? I got to go down to my bank. Uh, you know, yeah, you had the advent of the ATM machine come out, but you got to carry it around. You got risk of catching COVID. You might lose it. Just all the negatives that draw back from it. And then, you know, just transacting with the bank itself. They're going to limit how much you can spend. I mean, you got limits on how much you can spend per day, how much you can transfer, what you can do with it. I mean, people are just 
not, you know, once you realize that, hey, it's my money, why am I letting someone tell me or dictate what I can do with it and how and I can do with it and how I can do with it? It's I've earned it. I want to use it how I want to use it. I need to empower. I mean, just think about now, like if when I bought my business back in 2018, just, you know, doing a wire transfer, you know, trying to wire the funds over to the, the guy. I mean, you just had so much. I had to go in and fill out a form. You got to check tape. things. Rather this red tape. Yeah. Just to yeah. move the money. I'm like, dude, you already see the money's there in the account. Why do I have to do all this unnecessary stuff just to move it around? Yeah, we understand about the illicit criminal activity, but it's, which me to, to another body. I've already done my diligence. I know this party, we've checked each other out and there's also going to be other things anyway that in place to do that a lot faster anyway. Right. Like yeah. meeting, meeting just, me in person doesn't make me less of a criminal, right? <laughs> right, right. It's just been time. It, other countries are already, you know, the U.S. is just so far behind right now. If you go visit China, they already, you whip out cash, you look like a, an also ran. You whip out a credit card, you look like an also ran. So it's just... So much stuff, and I think in motion, it just isn't going to look pretty. Well, what if the rebuttal is, well, we have we have those guardrails to protect you. So if it was an error, if you wanted to just, you know, withdraw 500000 out of your account and your account zero, like we do that to protect you. It's not because we're trying to protect our deposits, we're trying to protect you. Like what, what would you say to that? Yeah, I mean, that's why the smart contracts are going to be in place, right? Because you're going to have to demonstrate. It's actually going to be better because if you don't demonstrate the performance and these certain metrics that are demonstrated in a contract, the funds aren't released. It goes back to the buyer right now. So you're not going to have the, the risk. I mean, you're still someone probably filling out some way to fraud you, whatever, right? There's always going to be those bad actors. But I mean, it's the same thing now with credit cards. I mean, yeah, you can go do a credit card and get it reversed back to the card. But I mean, what's that? That's just a smart contract. It's an if-then process. It's if, if I felt like I didn't get, I got jacked, I go back to their credit card issuer. They reverse the transaction. It's going to be the same thing with the smart contract. This guy didn't deliver on a performance. The funds come back to me and it's just going to be written in a contract as opposed to you having to deal with the calling into a bank and providing all this other extra documentation. Okay. And so for our list of listeners, I know you've mentioned it a couple of times, like smart contract. Could you kind of talk about what it is, how it was created, how you can get one, where you can get one, how does it work? Where can people read more about it? Yeah. So smart contracts, they're actually, so as you know, we got Bitcoin, which is kind of the grandfather of the coin, but people have started making these other chains, right? So you've gone off the blockchain and started building these other chains like Ethereum, which have the ability to initiate what we call smart contracts. And so they're building out the infrastructure now where you as a consumer and you want to do a transaction, you can enter into a smart contract that just is a written rule of how this transaction is supposed to be governed, right? And so something as simple as, hey, I'm going to go buy a car. If delivers the car to me by August 13th, these funds will be released on August 15th, right? Or 14th or whatnot, right? And so you can write that because you trust and know that 
the smart contract is going to release it. It's going to verify that things are performant. You're going to have the verification capabilities there because it's all going to be on the chain or whatnot. You're going to be able to see like the records of the car, if it's been in any wrecks, all that stuff is going to be there, right? So when you get the car delivered, you're going to be knowledgeable about it. And so you're not having to worry about whether or not pay you or if he has the funds, which makes it, you know, like for instance, I could go do a transaction on, on, uh, let's say, Craigslist. You know, you could probably go to a CD part of town now because you won't have to have the funds on you. It'll be in the contract. So they won't be able to knock you over the head or whatever. There's the trust that, hey, okay, I delivered. This contract's going to release. It's not us doing it. We've got a, a neutral third party, which is the chain that's going to take care of that. And so it just makes, it adds a layer of trust and it also eliminates a lot of risk for people. So got it. Yeah. Great, great info, great insight. So moving the conversation, right? The next phase of it. So we've kind of talked about like the state of banking and you've already stated your thesis with banks going to zero. So for our listeners, if you're on either side of the coin, what would you say the play would be? Meaning if you are a believer of banks going to zero, what are you going to do or invest? And if you are a believer that banks are going to just continue to be the main system in place, then how would you go about investing? Well, the thing about it, I mean, just even if you believe banking is not going to go anywhere, let's say I believe that, okay, it's just too entrenched. It's just, you know, there's just no way it can just go away. People are just so set in their ways. It's not going to go anywhere. Even that, right, in itself, right, the younger generation that's coming up behind us, they don't ascribe to the same love or taste or set in their ways that us are. They didn't grow up with just that you go down to the bank and open your first checking account, which was a rite of passage and all of that and play. They can just log online now and just go into a fintech provider and get things done. There's a thing where it was like Cash App, you know, once they open up a bank account there, I mean, a lot of people just see that as like their bank. And so the ties just aren't there, right? And so when their behaviors and patterns are being shaped, differently than ours are, that alone, you're not going to have that coming into the system to replace people as they fall off. So that alone just shows you that there's going to be a cliff, right? That just going away. Two, with the advent of lending, right? And people, let's just say, you know, lending is a commodity. You don't really care. We used to be, okay, yeah, I had I'd stayed in a relationship with this banker. I wanted them to do my transactions because they knew me. I go into the bank and they know me. They'll give me the loan and stuff like that. There's some of that still at the higher levels. But for most people, I mean, when you're going to home loan right now, or mortgage, you're just going to log on and say, hey, mortgage rate. You go into a website and it's basically like a bidding process, right? You get a bunch of calls. You get a lot of offers. You take the one who's going to give you the most money for the cheapest rate. And largely that's going to be fintech in the future because they're just going to have the tools that the banks don't have in order to, you know, assess you. They even got people who are doing it without having to do a credit pool, right? They can do it based off of your social media and all the aggregate information they found on the internet on whether you'll be a good player or not. I mean, that's what they're doing in these, you know, developed countries. 
they're implementing it here. So with that, you know, and it'd be more accurate than, you know, a credit history because they have higher payout rates, they have lower default rates. It's just been shown to perform much better than the old scored credit model, which has its flaws. So look at all of these just risk and things eating away at the margins. I mean, everything you can think of in banking, there's some software, some technology, some player that's out there that's chipping away at that. And you know, just in that type of environment, it's just no way that your investment can bear value moving forward. I mean, just if you look at the investment, just, you know, okay, you know, just the simple rule is 10 years from now, is more people going to be using this or less, right? And so let me ask you 10 years from now, you think more people are going to be in the banking system or less? Are you directly asking me? I mean, yeah, I'm just asking you, you know, more people be in Bank of America or less. Right, right. And so, I mean, I just don't see a scenario where it's a good investment to put your play in bank strike down. So as a play and you're trying to get returns for the future, I suggest looking at some of these Web3 DeFi platforms and maybe these fintech players and seeing where you can invest and use those products and actually maybe not even just buy the stock, but actually just using the products themselves. Like instead of me buying bank stocks to get access to like real estate lending, actually just buy into realphas or something like that, where you're actually getting the pool play from your bet on the housing market is just not. <laughs> I think out of all of the stocks or plays that you can perform or buy in your portfolio, buying into banking would probably be your worst performance over the next 10 years. There you have it. That's a, that's a hot take. That's a bold statement. And again, like these are just our opinions. It's just two friends talking about investing and we aren't making recommendations. We haven't looked at anyone's portfolio to give you a recommendation. Definitely seek out like financial advice. We're not licensed financial advisors and we just speak to a licensed person who has provided a risk assessment. And you've spoken to extensively about what your goals are and what you're intending to do. So these are just our ideas. Again, I want to emphasize that and reiterate that for all of our listeners. But this really interesting take that you have about banks. Again, my personal opinion, I'm pretty much lockstep with you. I would just make the argument that it may take a little bit longer. The time, the time frame or the time horizon is like my only opinion on what could potentially be different, right? Mm -hmm. And I say yeah. that because usually companies don't outright just die, right? Usually they age disgracefully. That's what usually happens. Now, sometimes it's just like if they go into bankruptcy, then they'll maybe like go into bankruptcy and then someone will buy it out of bankruptcy and then they'll like rise again. Right? But usually we just see, to your point of you saying earlier, like you just see a constant trend of decline. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I do think the decline would be in 10 years, but then how much of a decline will it be all the way zero in 10 years? I don't know. Yeah, and I'm glad you, you mentioned that. Well, let's unpack that. So what's the rationale? What causes decline, right? 
most of the time it's people are switching their paste and preferences to another product or another way of doing things. Correct. That's right. Okay. So in the past, the way adoption happened, it happened at a slower pace. You didn't have these networks to spread things over so fast. There was a chart that I saw a couple of years ago, almost you know, 10 years ago, right? Where we were just talking about the rate of things being viral, right? Whereas in the past, it took a couple of years for a new company to catch on and build a base and start becoming popular and becoming usage. You know, that time is just shrunk. I mean, just think about it. I mean, news travels so fast nowadays. If, if you look at how a network can be built, I mean, look at the most recent example we had was, guys, I can't even think of the name of the app because it came and, and it's pretty much dead. Clubhouse. Yeah. Just how fast Clubhouse was adopted, right? During the pandemic, I mean, one day it was it was on the scene and the next day people, everybody was using it, right? And that's just why the same thing with banking is going to happen. I mean, look, Cash App just blew up fast. And once these the networks are in place, once that people get comfortable and they finally crack and solve, which some people are already, they I can't think they had a project that I need to read up a little bit more on that is actually just launched a couple a month or so ago that actually has some of the more useful features for UI for people who want to start instead of doing MetaMask, they can use that to log on. Can't think of the name right now, but I'll put it in the show notes. But that's why I think, you know, in the past, people were like, yeah, we got 10, 20 years from that. Not anymore. Not anymore. Things just move so fast nowadays. Adoption happens so fast. Once, you know, someone comes up with those killer apps that people can use with ease and it yeah. just gets in the hands of an influencer, it's just going to go pretty fast, I think. And so that's why I think 10 years. That's a perfect rebuttal, man. That makes total sense, right? Like you're saying, the ease of technology, we live in a microwave society. Everybody wants things now. Like you said, the younger generation, they grew up on apps. So they're used to a certain ease of access, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, it's plausible, right? I don't feel strongly about it. I mean, it's very possible that it could be within two years, but uh, I just don't know, man, because... I mean, well, okay. I guess we got. Let me show tell you how it happens, right? Okay. okay. So the first thing that has to happen, right, is someone has to create a network to make it easy to just pay and transact with these coins, just as easy as it is to do. Like right now, I can walk in, I whip out my credit card, and go to any store. That's why people started using American Express and Visa because you could go anywhere, and they had a larger network of people of merchants that were accepting it. And so people migrated over to these credit cards because you didn't have to carry the cash. I could, there's a large network that accepted. And if they didn't accept it, then I could just go down the street and find somebody who did. You saw how Square came out and they launched the, you know, I'm sure you've probably seen it where they put the, the reader on the cell phone. You can swipe your card and take a payment like that. Those things are, how much were they to make? You know, they're pennies to come up with something like that to send those out to people to start transacting. So just think about how many people you know. I mean, just how popular Bitcoin and all of these Dogecoin and all of that were. So people already have it. People already have it, right? So all you need is just to simply send those things out to the vendor, say, hey, this is a way for you to accept Bitcoin. I already have a wallet. Everybody's already got Dogecoin or whatever in their Coinbase account or whatnot. 
You know about how it's going to go up. Who's not going to take it? Who's not going to start taking that, right? So once you have that in, boom, the door is open already, right? So people are now, now the next thing all you need to do is maybe somebody starts taking salary in Bitcoin. Oh, well, you know, Bodell Beckham's already started taking salary in Bitcoin. Other people will start taking salary in these cryptos. So boom, already overnight, you're off the banking system, right? You're already getting paid in crypto. You can already transact with it. Who's going to go in a bank then? What am I going to do with the bank? I mean, other than they get a loan, but I can get a loan off of FinTech. So as people switch, I mean, it can happen just that fast, just that fast. I mean, it's already in play. So that's why I think, you know, it's not if, it's just when, it's here. So the only thing that I think could possibly maybe slow it down is government regulation. I mean, you already have people saying, okay, we're going to have to report like in next 2023, where the exchanges are going to have to report people's holdings and stuff like that. And maybe they can do something to try to slow things down or something with some regulation. But the stuff is, the underpinnings are already there. So all it's going to take, I think, is just that someone, you know, once they get that, that network finally finalized where we can run the transactions pretty smoothly and it's already being worked on, when they send those out, ah, that's going to get ugly quick. <laughs> Okay. So if there, you're saying, and, and we'll wrap it with this, you're saying there isn't necessarily an impetus. You're saying that the change, the shift is already happening, right? Yeah, it's already there to happen. Yeah. I mean, it's already there to happen. I mean, if you walk in tomorrow and they say, hey, you know, you can use your Dogecoin here or whatever, whatever crypto you got, we take it. You just use that from your account, from your phone. There you have it. We just covered like the banking industry in a whole. This is one of our industries that we're watching closely here on Point of More Returns. And we definitely appreciate you all tuning in. And we're signing off. This is Wall Street C. Catch me at socials at welfare at More Returns Pod, as well as my co-host who graciously broke down the banking industry, the mass investor. And we look forward to the next episode. Yes, indeed. All right.